You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 26 is where we're going to be. Go ahead and stand as you're turning there. And we'll finish up this first chapter of James. And as, uh, as you know, James is a, a chapter about, or this book is a book about maturity. And, and James is trying to get the readers and, and um, by extension us to understand the importance of maturity. And uh, we've spent this first part of, the, of James 1 talking about how maturity comes through our trials and our response to those trials, if we're going to be students, we'll learn the lessons. If we're going to be victims, we miss the lessons. Um, he talked about how then our response to temptation is going to make a difference in our maturity. And we talked about our response also to the Word of God. That's We're still kind of in that section. And, uh, and so we're going to begin, actually, just for context's sake, let's, look, uh, let's read from verse 19 down through the end of the chapter. It's, it's not a long passage tonight, but this is about the word and our response to the word. Verse 19, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. If you are angry about how the word is coming at you, God can't work in you. Verse 21, therefore, I'm sorry, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man or if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Where he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem, and that's an important word tonight. If any man among you seem to be religious, if anyone appears to be religious, it's you seem. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. And this is an interesting text here because James says you've got to be doers of the word. But let me tell you how you know you're being a doer of the word. And he gives us some very practical examples And I'm going to focus in some ways on that word seems, if any man among you seem to be religious. And tonight, I call the message tonight, falling apart at the seams. Because it's easy to seem to be religious. But when you start to examine yourself in light of these practical examples right here, you might find out that you're 
religion, your seeming religion falls apart at the seams. And I want to examine that tonight and, and just do some self-examination this evening on this. And we'll pray and get into it. Father, thank you for the word and thank you for the day you've given us. It has been such a good day. And I believe you've been exalted and glorified in the truth of the songs that we have sung have been um, just so moving. And the way they've been sung have been appropriate. And then just the energy and excitement and, and uh, anticipation of your people. Lord, I've appreciated it. I pray that you bless us. Uh, tonight by meeting us with us one more time this evening and then help us to be willing to examine ourselves in light of this text in Jesus name amen thank you you may be seated so part of our maturing process um, takes place when we properly respond to God's word that's the section that we're in right now and and, and how maturity takes place when we are willing to look into the word and hear the word, but not just hear the word, but also then to go and do it. Because if we hear the word without doing, what does the Bible say? What does James says happens? We what ourselves? We deceive ourselves. We add layers of deceit onto our lives. And honestly, it's hard enough to live for God, um, much less have layers of deceit that we're trying to peel away. And so James says that your response to the word will either leave you deceived or it will leave you blessed. And I definitely would rather be blessed. Um, and, And so we talked last time about being a doer and how doers make specific plans And that when you hear a message and you hear a truth, don't just say, oh, that's a good truth. No, decide I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to make a plan. You don't just become a better witness because you got emotional about souls. I know a lot of people, and myself included, it's easy to get moved about about souls. But but if you don't make a plan to be a better witness, you won't become a better witness. Um, You don't don't just walk with God, you make a plan and you follow it in order to walk with God. And I I believe with all my heart uh, that that people that are unchanged are not unchanged because they're unmoved, they're unchanged because they're unplanned. And according to this, that's a biblical thought. I believe that people that are unchanged are not unchanged because they're unmoved, they're unchanged because they're unplanned. They don't have a plan. They don't come up with a way to make sure that the word that they heard gets enacted in their lives. There are plenty of people that are moved. There are plenty of people that get excited and plenty of people that are convicted. But I believe that, that uh, of the people that are moved and excited and convicted, most of them never change because they never make a specific plan with what they've heard. And if God goes to the lengths to do spiritual work in your life through his word and through preaching, then we better do our practical part in these bodies, make a plan and follow through with it. And I know that I've, I've kind of harped on that for a few weeks, but we need this. Uh, we need to hear this over and over and over. Be a doer, make a plan. How do I make a plan? Well, sit down and think and write it out. Make your plan realistic. Make it measurable. Um, Make your progress measurable. Ask somebody to help you because you haven't fully responded to God's word or to a message if you have yet to make a plan. And that was the message last time. And and I'm doing this again because uh, you hear messages all the time. 
Four times a week, most of you in this room, four times. You hear a Sunday school lesson, you hear a Sunday morning, you hear Sunday night, you hear Wednesday night, and you hear a word, the word either uh, through your own reading or, or through listening to other preaching through the week. You hear messages all the time. Don't just take it in and be a head knowledge kind of a, of a Christian. Live it out. Before you, you say, well, that's just too practical, Make a plan. What you, this is not a seminar. Well, be careful because James, James spends an entire book getting practical. And, and, I, and he gets very practical tonight in our text. And that's what's leading up to this. It, James gets very practical. He, he just, he's just come to a section in which he's saying, be a doer of the word so you can be blessed and don't be deceived. But he doesn't leave it there. He gives us very practical examples of what it looks like. And as I was looking through this, and somebody else, I think, kind of spurred this thought, I was thinking about how to break this down, and, and there really, uh, there's a four-part overview of these last seven verses, 21 through 27, uh, about our treatment of the Word, in that we should receive it, we should hear it, we should do it, and then we examine it. We receive it in verse 21, we hear it in verse 23, we do it in all throughout it, and then we examine it. See, I believe that very often, the, the reason I, I approached it last time about making a plan is that's the examination part. James doesn't, does, doesn't just say, be moved and go do. No, he says, now measure yourself. Take some time to find out where you really are. It's not enough just to open God's word and hear it and do it. Uh, the practical part is that we examine ourselves. And, and James gives us a check. He says, here's a good way to examine yourself in light of what you're doing for God. And the way that he examines us or tells us to examine ourselves is, is he says there are two approaches to religion. Uh, you have two categories of religions mentioned here. In verse 26, you've got, if any of you, uh, among you seem to be religious. So you've got those that seem to be religious. And then in verse 27, you've got pure religion and undefiled. You've got those that are sincerely religious. So you have these two categories of religion. You've got somebody that seems to be and somebody that is sincerely religious. And religion isn't often, that word's not often used in the Bible, but the word here means external religious rituals or liturgies, routines, ceremonies. It has to do with the bond, in some ways the bond uh, of, of worship. And James says, though there's a danger of seeming to be religious. What he's saying is there's a danger of just going through the external motions. That we just go through the motions and we appear to be religious. Uh, what, it means to, what it means to seem religious. Uh, very often those are things like going to church. It's not a bad thing. But you can go to church and just seem religious. Uh, uh, being involved in activities. You can be involved in everything and just seem religious. You can, uh, your appearance... Uh, and, you know, we have people all the time that we had people come in just last week and, and I was out front. There wasn't anybody out front right between Sunday school and, and the service. I ended up just out there and greeting these folks and they came in and, and they were saying, you know, we were going to go in, but we're not sure if we're dressed right. Because they had seen other people walk in and out. And that says, you know, two things to me. Number one is, is I believe we ought to, ought to dress our best when we meet with the Lord. I don't think there's any fault in that. 
Um, but number two, we should never have a spirit that somebody that comes in and doesn't dress just like us doesn't, can't feel comfortable if they come in. So we should have a good standard, but we should also have the right spirit about it. We do this because we're meeting with the Lord, not because we think we're more spiritual than anybody, than anybody else that comes in. And so I, I, they, they felt comfortable. I saw them talking to people. It was, it was just fine. But our appearance can be, sometimes be what makes us seem religious. Our, our clothing, our, the standards that we have, using the right jargon and holding a, a right position and praying flowery, flowery, what's the word? Prayers, flowery. Can't say it today. Holding the right doctrine. Those things sometimes are what we say, okay, this makes me seem religious, so I'm going to do it. Well, none of those are wrong. They're actually good. But the externals hold no spiritual value in themselves if a person doesn't have saving faith, for instance. The externals don't have value if your motives are not to glorify God, but your motives are to glorify yourself. And we've got to have balance in this regard. If a person has all those things, but it's not genuine, they simply seem to be religious. In contrast, you have verse 27, which says, pure religion and undefiled. Pure means clean. Undefiled means free from contamination. The idea is that, is that it's possible to be genuinely, sincerely religious. It doesn't have to be an act. It can be real. And so I just want you tonight to think about these two categories of people. You've got, on one hand, you've got somebody that seems to be religious and somebody that is sincerely religious. They seem and they sincere, they're, they're sincerely. So I just want you to think about those two. And, and I, I had a couple signs. I guess I didn't bring them in. So that's okay. Maybe the Lord knew that I didn't need to do that. So I'm going to have, I'm just going to, I'm going to have, you look like you need to wake up a little bit. So. Hey, Jace, will you and Wyatt come up here? And I'm just going to use them, not because it helps, but because they're cute little guys and you'll pay attention. Okay, so we're going to have Jace, I'm going to have you come over here and you stand on this, you stand right there on that step. We're going to have you be Mr. Seams because I know him. So he seems to be religious. But Wyatt, you look very spiritual. So you come right over here, and I'm going to have you come right about here. And you're, he is Mr. Sincere. So, Jay, <laughs> sincere religion doesn't snort in church. So, okay, so Mr. Seems religious, Mr. Sincerely religious. Can you guys stand here for a while? How, 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 how much stamina do you think you have? Not much? Okay. <laughs> Right, just a little bit. He says, okay, so we're going to have them stand here, Mr. Seems Religious, Mr. Sincerely Religious. And let's say both of these guys are engaged in religious activities. They are. They're both, they've both been raised in church. Um, they, you know, at least one of them has really godly parents. And then um, I didn't say which one. They regularly attend Eastside. They go to all the activities. They look the part. I mean, if they're adults, they, you know, they serve in, in places. They know what to wear. They know what to say. They know what not to do. They hold positions. They, they involved in outreach, and he's a greeter. And all of these things, these represent, these represent then, don't ham it up too much, bud. Okay, so <laughs> these represent us. And, and they look good. Both of them look good. 
But one of them seems to be religious and the other is sincerely religious. One seems to be like he's got things get together, but one actually does. And the danger of is that James mentions is that the religion of Mr. Seems is vain. It's worthless. That's the idea. It has no value. It's useless. And none of, none of us want to live our lives in, engaged in empty religion. No, none of us want to be Mr. Seems. To seem religious but not be is not our, that's not our end game. That's not what we should want to do. Just going through empty motions that have no impact and leave no mark. So how are you going to tell? Because frankly, I want to make sure that I'm not Mr. Seams and that I'm Mr. Sincere. I, I don't know about you, but I feel very strongly about that. So how do I make sure that I am this guy and not this guy. Well, James comes in to save the day and says, let me give you three ways you can know. Let me give you three ways that you can know that you are sincerely religious and you don't just seem religious. And he gives us three categories. He says, your speech, your service, and your separation. Your speech, your service, and your separation. So for those of you that get bothered that I'm not an alliterator, We've got Mr. Seams and Mr. Sincere, and we've got speech, and we've got service, and we've got separation. Okay? Are you happy? Okay. All right. So you guys, go ahead and just sit right where you are, because you're going to be standing there for, go, yeah, go ahead. There you go. Uh, That should not have been an exercise. Yeah, don't cross your legs. Just sit there like a normal guy. So I just want to do a comparison tonight between Mr. Seams and Mr. Sincere in these areas, speech, service, separation. And it's going to be a simple examination, but I hope it will be a help in speech. That's where we're going to start. Verse 26, he says, look at it. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain or empty or worthless. And we're not going to be exhaustive with this tonight because James has a lot to say about the tongue in this book. And we're going, to, we're going to look at that many times in, in chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. James talks about the tongue a lot. But we do need to address what James says is an unbridled tongue. An unbridled tongue is one, you know, a horse that's unbridled. It means that a horse is unrestrained. It, there's nobody controlling him. And a person with no restraint on their words only seems to be religious. And we can seem to be religious, but our words will tell the real story. Harsh, negative, angry, bitter words, they expose a much deeper problem in our life. So how restrained is your tongue? How controlled is your tongue? Because Mr. Seems Religious has a gossiping tongue. Proverbs eleven thirteen says, A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. I know, I know people, in my opinion, that, that seem to be as addicted to gossip as they are, as an addict is to some substance. When they think there's a way that they can hear the news or they can get involved in a conversation about something that's under the table, man, their eyes light up. Proverbs twenty nineteen says, He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets, therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. Churches can be petri dishes for gossip. And any of us can fall into this trap. But let me give you a good, re, a good general rule. If the person isn't present, don't say anything about them that could be perceived as negative. And, and because, and especially if you haven't verified it. 
See, it may not be a negative statement, but be very careful because you know how you've played the game of telephone. And if you say something that wasn't even meant as negative about somebody who's not in that, in that conversation, as soon as it gets back to them, it will be completely different. And then you've got something you have to work out. So maybe we just ought to say that Mr. Seems, he goes around gossiping, but Mr. Sincere is going to say, I'm not going to talk about anybody unless I'm in their presence. That's the kind of unrestrained tongue Mr. Seems has. He's, he's a gossiper. He has a critical tongue. I heard someone say that the favorite indoor sport of the average Christian is criticism. Some people are great at pointing out everyone else's imperfections and we can do that to each other. We can do it about people that we don't get along with and we can do it about people in leadership. We can even do that with our friends. Small people talk about others, but big people talk about God. Zig Ziglar said, don't be distracted by criticism. They, the, only, the only taste of success some people have is when they take a bite out of you. A critical tongue is condemned by God. Speak right here in James. Speak not evil of one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. A critical tongue will be cut off by God, the Bible says. Whoso privately, privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. I, I, that means that you will be shelved by God if you have a critical spirit. Uh, Proverbs sixteen twenty eight: A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Proverbs eighteen eight: The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they that they, they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Contentious and critical people will always stir you up, and they won't build you up. The person slandering others in front of you will slander you in front of others. And Mr. Seems religious, looks the part, but his tongue tells a different story. He also has a sharp tongue. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. But the tongue of the wise is health. Are your, are your words used to build up or cut down? I'm thankful, very thankful for people at Eastside and people that I, that I know and, and love that write notes and, and send. I mean, it's just a blessing to hear from people. I was, I was uh, in my office just this week and I was looking through some Valentines that I don't remember which teacher had the, the kids put these together, but I was just looking through them and I got one from Jordan and it's a whale and a shark and a spider. Nothing says Valentine's like those. I got a picture from Wyatt. He drew me. It's actually better than the real thing. So I got a picture. We got one from Bennett here. And we have all these things and uh, these hearts and stickers. And, and one that says, I missed you with stickers. And I, you know, it doesn't say much. But I was thinking, these are the kind of words that we ought to, that we ought to use with each other. So you don't have to give each other stickers, but you know what I mean. I, you know, I've got one from, um, from Brindley and, and a heart with these stickers on here. And I, and I pull these out every once in a while and look at them. And there's a robot with sticker. I mean, stickers is the theme. And my favorite though, you know, I was reading through these and I was like, these are, these are the tongue of the wise that bring health. And then I pulled out Mia's here and Judy, you might just want to get ready. 
all these stickers, and they're awesome. But there's this one right down here, and I'm trying to figure out what it means. It says, last day. <laughs> like, whose last day? <laughs> Does she know something I don't know? <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I, Mia, thank you for the card. I did. But those things, they, they do something to your heart. They, they, they give health to the heart. I mean, Marlis is really good at writing notes and letters, and I read hers over and over, and, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that people say, my tongue can be used for health. But we have plenty, not just at our church, I mean in culture, that use their tongue to be sharp. And, and Ephesians says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, that, that that which is good to the use of edifying, that may, it may minister grace unto the hearer. What, how are you using your speech? Are you using it to build people up or tear people down? I grow a little weary of this mindset that says, I say what I think. And listen, there are times where you ought to say what you think if something needs to be said, but I'm not sure that's such a, mo, a noble theme all the time. A fool, the Bible says a fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterward. See, we have, all of us have thoughts and opinions. That doesn't make that your opinion valid or right. And number two, it also doesn't make it appropriate to say out loud. You may have an opinion, but be careful. Listen, if your motive is love and to help, pursue saying it in an appropriate way at an appropriate time. But if your motive is, I say what I think, that's not noble or superior. It simply means that you don't restrain your tongue. And James says that makes you seem religious. This can happen at home too, a sharp tongue. It shows up at home, shame on us. And especially think men, shame on us if we speak to strangers more kindly than we speak to each other in our own homes. But it can happen. Spouses can be brutally cruel with each other. They use destructive words and they hurt each other deeply. And I'm not sure how a, a cruel tongue fits love or respect. Parents can be so hard on children, it can destroy your child's spirit. Parents, be careful. Siblings, this is one I, I ought to preach on more. It's amazing how cruel siblings can be with each other and how impatient and how destructive words can be, especially an older sibling to a younger sibling. You say you love God, but if the way that you deal with your brother or your sister reveals that you have worth, if, if you don't deal with them correctly, you have a vain religion. It's outward, it's insincere, and we can check a long list of religious boxes, but our tongue tells the story. Our speech reveals our heart, and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, speaketh the Bible says. And we could talk about all kinds of speech patterns tonight uh, using bad language. You know, I, I hear reports sometimes of the young people and the words that, that get said among the youth group. Parents, ask your children... Talk to them about that. Joking about inappropriate things. And it doesn't just happen with young people. It can happen in church with adults. And it's easy sometimes to fall into that trap. But, uh, you know, we, but that is not speech that proves your sincerity. And we don't have time for all of those applications. Suffice it to say that if your speech is not controlled by God, it's safe to assume your heart is not either. So unrestrained speech is a sign of a seems religion. 
If you have unrestrained speech, your religion is falling apart at the seams. You can be Mr. Seams religious, but corrupt speech proves otherwise. Are you in this category of speech? Are you Mr. Seams or Mr. Sincere? And he gives another category here, and these are shorter, but service, he says. Look at verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And James says that sincere religion means more than just lip service. It means we're willing to lay aside our needs to meet the needs of those with greater needs. And in that early church, if you think about it, you know, the orphans and the widows in that early church, they would not have had governmental resources. They would not have had a lot of help when it comes to, um, to taking care of their needs. Somebody that's, that's parentless or somebody that's husbandless especially. These were the ones in greatest distress. And you know, God has always had a special place in his heart for the orphans and the widows. We could read all through from starting early on. I mean, Psalm 68, a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. You could go to um, the nation of Israel and Exodus and Deuteronomy and and see how they were to provide for the orphans and widows, not despise them. There there weren't government uh, programs putting food on their tables. And the idea of a widow or orphan is that there's not even family to provide for them. And James says... That's the heart of true religion because the widows and orphans have nothing to give us in return. You know, that's the beauty of a bus ministry, by the way. Is because in a bus ministry, um, then we are ministering to the needs of those in our community, but they're not bringing in tithe. They're not doing something in return to, to pay for what they're receiving And that's why I feel strongly uh, about our need to have a bus ministry because a bus ministry puts us in a position where we can minister to people in a way that is pure religion and undefiled because we are giving and ministering in a way uh, to people that won't ever do anything in return. Now, if a bus, if a bus ministry produces a, a, a bus kid that grows up, and I know we've got some right here in this room that grow up and serve God a, and full time or with their lives or become faithful members, that's awesome. It's great. But we don't do it for that. And James is saying that if you want to know if you're Mr. Seems religious or you're Mr. Sincerely religious, how are you at at reaching out to meet the needs of those that can't give you anything in return? They're not producing anything that is productive uh, on a physical level for the church. We serve those in need because they need it, not because we expect return. And if you are redeemed by a sacrificial, selfless, loving God, then your service to God should be marked by sacrificial selflessness. You can seem to be religious, but somebody with sincere religion will serve God unselfishly. So how willing are you to do those things that are least desirable? How much do you expect to be recognized for your service? When's the last time that you invested in someone who offered you very little in return? Mr. Seams will only serve if he's rewarded with recognition, but Mr. Sincere is willing to serve whether or not he gets anything in return. And this is the difference. Mr. Sincere is more concerned with why he serves than he is a position or notoriety. How selflessly do we serve the Lord? It's an indicator of our hearts. This is love works, folks. 
We love the Lord and it shows up in what we do regardless of who notices. Regardless of rewards or no rewards. And if you, unselfish service is a sign of sincere religion. And if you don't have unselfish service, and listen, this shows up in a lot of ways. This can just show up in how easy you are to, for people to deal with when you're serving with them. How much you have to serve on your terms and how, how much you have to sit where you want to sit and you have to be involved in what you want to be involved in. I mean, these are all areas that, that if you have a demand in your ministry and it run it like a kingdom, your kingdom, then you're not serving um, selflessly. And un, uh, this, this uh, unselfish service, it's a sign of, of uh, uh, sincere religion. But if you're selfish and you're not a team player in your service, then your religion falls apart at the seams. And separation is the last one here. And this is everyone's favorite word. Pure religion and undefiled. Look at verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. James says that we should strive to be unspotted or unstained by the world. And this kind of preaching often gets skipped. It's not popular to talk about separation. And there are plenty of Christians that say separation only matters in, in the, the primary doctrinal matters. But listen, separation doesn't make you a Pharisee unless you're relying on it to save you. See, if you trust your works in order to get to heaven, then I would say you are a legalist. But, but don't be afraid of the concept of separation just because it's not popular in mainstream Christianity. As a matter of fact, the fact that it's not popular in mainstream Christianity makes me think it ought to be something that we practice. Separation is not a bad thing. And James' point is not that we, uh, is that we not engage in those things that could leave us stained by the world's influence. And God's people should be morally and spiritually pure. God wants us to stay clean. And listen, uh, don't let anyone make you feel like a Pharisee. If your desire to please God in holiness leads you to a higher standard in some area of your life. It's not wrong to raise the bar. Now, it is wrong to raise the bar and say, if you don't have my bar, I'm better than you. But if your motivation is holiness, who am I to tell you that your standard shouldn't be that high? Amen. You know, James says that our desire for holiness should result in us keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. And that means that we have a perpetual obligation to protect ourselves from sin. And that's where standards come into our lives. They, they're like guardrails. To keep us on a path to holiness. And I want you to try to understand this. This is the way I would explain it. See, here's the balance though. Standards are not the holiness. Standards keep us at a safe distance from being spotted by the world. It's kind of like if you've been down to Falls Park, um, especially uh, recently. You know that in Falls Park it's beautiful. And I, I mean, I love, we love to go down there. I'm not sure there's going to be any falls this year, but who knows? It's been so dry. 
well, we love to go down there, but this time of year, um, Falls Park has a problem when the water gets high. What's the problem? It builds up in the water. What is it? It's the foam. And that foam is, is just everywhere, especially when the water is high. And so they now, because people have fallen in and people, their lives have been lost, then they have these giant signs, which, you know, I mean, they do make you think. I'm glad they didn't put a fence all around it. Uh, because I think that would take away from it. But I think there should be signs. There should be big signs. They stay away from the foam. And those signs are everywhere. And, and it's good that they're there. I was just there driving by it this last week and saw the signs. And so, but, but those signs, um, you know, the danger is the, the foam, the falls. That's, that's being spotted by the world. Okay, we'll say that that's the, the spot, the stains that you get by the world. The signs are simply standards to keep you from getting too close to the world. So the principle is I want to live. So I, I put these standards up in my life to keep me from getting too close to the dangers. And, and we have to think about separation that way um, because the sign is not holiness. The sign is safety. The sign is a standard that keeps me on the right path. And I'm telling you, when my kids and I, when I take them to Falls Park, I, I definitely want them to be safe. I want them to be considering how close they get to the edge. Because I don't want them to fall in. And, and we, and listen, we all ought to have a principle of life, for instance, holiness or pleasing God. And, and we want to stay on this path. But I know the world is over there and the world is over here. So what I do is I put guardrails up in my life that are my standards to keep me on the path. The guardrails don't make me holy. The guardrails don't make me superior spiritually to you. But they put me in a position to protect me. And, and so there's balance both ways because sometimes, you know, we, we, we kind of look down on people that don't have guardrails where we put guardrails up. And, and we might look down on them for that and, and we might think, well, that's not wise or whatever. No, we've got to be careful um, of, of assuming that the place we placed our guardrails, our signs, is exactly where God would have everybody place their signs. On the other hand, the balance is, if I'm following the Lord, I want to stay as far away from the foam as I can. So I'm not going to look down on somebody else if their guardrail is closer to the foam. But in my mind, it's wiser to stay as far away from the danger as possible. If you're you're trying to get a job driving and, and part of your route takes you up a mountain road... And along that mountain road, there are no guardrails, but you're, you're pretty confident in your driving, so you drive right close to the edge the whole time, and the person that's interviewing you is looking down this cliff, and, and so you get them there safely, but you're on the edge the whole time, and yet somebody else comes by, and they're cautiously closer to the middle. Who do you think they're going to hire? See, sometimes we think, well, I'm a mature Christian. I can handle the spots. Well, don't, don't oversell your Christianity. Your spirituality. 
You might ought to consider moving the signs if for no other reason, but some other people are watching you where you put your signs, like your children, and what parents, where we put our signs, it may be pretty far away from the foam, but our children tend to kind of move the signs a little closer. And we've got to be mindful. The standards don't make you holy, but the standards also are not something we should look down on if someone has a higher standard than us. Praise the Lord. I can learn from them. They're, 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 if they're balanced and they have the right spirit, then I respect that they're trying to stay on a path of holiness. Amen. There may be some that draw their lines tighter and some that draw their lines looser, and that happens even in a church family. And if you're a grown person, you're not as afraid of the foam at the falls, you may go closer. Just know that the closer you get to the edge, the greater the risk of falling in. And it matters of holiness and, and standards. I don't necessarily believe someone with a higher standard is automatically more spiritual. But I do believe that we need more Christians in this culture taking a higher standard. Because the risk for being stained is higher. This is a wicked world. And it's only getting worse. And in my mind, that doesn't mean that we, ought, we can go closer to the foam because the foam is moving. No, I'm going to stay where I'm at. I'm going to stay far away from the foam because that water's running a lot more quickly now than it was 20 years ago. Parents, don't assume that just because the culture's moved that we can loosen our protections. That doesn't make sense. It means the dangers are greater. So you know what? We probably ought to be installing more protections, not removing them. And the things that we watch and the things that we listen to and the people that we hang out with and the things uh, that we wear and, and don't release standards just because the world has released standards. We don't take our cues from where the world sets their standard. We take our cues from a holy God. And listen, I respect anyone who has a higher standard than me in some area if they're pursuing that standard as a way to live out their desire for holiness. I won't judge that. As a matter of fact, I'll be thankful for it. The default, though, in our culture is to loosen things up. And I'm not sure that we as God's people ought to take our cues from culture. If God is holy and I'm pursuing this path of holiness, last I checked, God doesn't change. And we ought to be careful of changing our guardrails just because the culture has. You know, Mr. Seams... He checks all the religious boxes, but if his life is stained by the influence of the world, then it proves his religion is vain. Unforced separation, though. Not somebody telling Mr. Sincere what to do, but Mr. Sincere thinking, I want to be holy. I want to be right with God. I want to be unspotted. I don't want to be a Christian zebra. Wait, zebras have stripes. I don't want to be a Christian whatever has, has spots. Yeah, whatever. Okay, you got it. Mr. Seams checks the boxes, but Mr. Sincere has a life of unforced separation. It's a, sincere, a sign of sincere religion. If you, in your life, have allowed your separation, your guardrails to fall, then your religion is falling apart at the seams. Amen. So unrestrained speech is a sign of a seams religion. Unselfish service is a sign of sincere religion. Unforced separation is a sign of sincere religion. If you want to know how you're doing at doing, examine your speech, examine your service, and examine your separation. 
Here's James' point. We're wrapping it up. The word of God should impact my speech, my service, and my separation. And if it doesn't, my religion falls apart at the seams. In essence, James says, if your faith is workless, it's worthless. If your your relationship with God doesn't change your speech or service or separation, what's it good for? You could also say it this way, without works, faith falls apart at the seams. So do you want worthless or worthwhile faith? Do you want to be Mr. Seams or do you want to be Mr. Sincere? You say, well, I don't really know how I'm supposed to know. Check your speech. Check your service. And check your separation. Examine yourself. Use James' measurements to examine. And if you will take this exhortation seriously, you can go from seams to sincere. That's what we want. Nobody wants worthless religion. We want something that pleases God and leaves a mark. But sometimes we have to stop and do some self-examination. So what does your speech and your service and your separation say about the sincerity of your faith? If those things aren't present, then your faith is falling apart at the seams. Let's stand together. Thank you, boys, for being willing to be helped tonight. You can go back to your seat. Let's stand together. We'll, uh, we'll pray here in just a moment and then have Brother Samuel sing. And Would you examine yourself tonight? I know it's a simple concept, but it's James's idea. It's God's idea. <laughs> Is that your speech says something about your sincerity. Your service says something about your sincerity. And your separation says something about your sincerity. And I want to be sincere in my religion. And I, so that means I need to examine myself in light of these three areas. Would you do that tonight? As I'll pray and Brother Samuel will sing, Father. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.